Well, I don't know if you remember, but this sermon is not supposed to exist. Uh, this was going to be a one-part series, and then it spun into a two-part series by accident. And then today we're on part three, and it's just like this, this thing just keeps unfolding more and more. And I've got so much to say about it, and I really feel like from what I, the feedback I'm getting, I talked about this on Wednesday too, uh, this, this soul-spirit thing is really helping a whole lot of people. And so here we are uh, in part three of your new identity. I want to review just a couple of minutes here. You remember we talked about how many sins does it take to be a sinner? And the answer was a big fat zero. It takes none because you show up on planet Earth that way. And when you show up on planet Earth, there you are. You're that redhead there at the end. And what the deal is, is that you're in a timeline... You're in a heritage, you're uh, in a lineage uh, called being in Adam. And so what you have in terms of your spiritual DNA is all inherited. You have an inherited spiritual DNA. And so, you know, you can clean up and you can go to church and you can dress up and you can change your behavior and you can uh, donate some money and you can uh, love some people and you can do some nice things but it won't change your lineage, it won't change your heritage, it won't change your spiritual DNA. And so, the core Christian message, if we really get to it, is not this behavior modification, this behavior improvement program, but it is heart surgery. It is a DNA swap. And so, what, what God is telling us is essentially that we are in Adam and that we need to be in Christ to find the solution. So, have you ever noticed, I mean, as you work your way through Romans, you work your way through Ephesians or Galatians, or really any New Testament letter, you'll find this phrase, in Christ, in Him, in the Lord, we have in whom we have redemption. It talks about being in, in, in Jesus Christ. And for years... As a younger Christian, I mean, I would, I would read those phrases and just sort of gloss over them. It's kind of like, yeah, this is my holy Bible, and here's a verse that says, in Christ, and of course it says, in Christ, because it's Christianity. And so, Christianity has uh, the book called the Bible, and a concept uh, called being in Christ, but it really doesn't, doesn't mean much, it's just a term. And so, what we're learning, though, is that it's really the core of what it means to be a Christian. You know, that term Christian, it really came about, uh, we use it today because in the book of Acts, people started to call other people Christians. But the most accurate way to refer to a person that has a relationship with God is a person being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And so, while we use the term Christian quite often, uh, terms with IAN and isms and movements and followers of movements all over the planet use those type of terms. What is unique about who we are is that we are people who are in Christ. Now, we baptize people. We Christians, we new creations, we baptize people in water. And, And God has done this on purpose. He's done it on purpose to give us that visual picture of what it means to be immersed in Jesus Christ. Because this is the most 
important aspect of who we are that we could ever possibly understand. And so, you talk to someone about becoming a Christian and you're telling them it's not what you do, it's what Jesus did. It's about being born again. We'll use that term that's been used and abused over the years. And so we'll tell them, no, no, it's not about your drinking and it's not about your smoking and it's not about your not going to church and your knowledge of the Bible or lack thereof. It's not about any of that. It's about, it's about being born again. It's about being in Christ. And then we become saved people. We come to salvation. Maybe we pray a prayer or we hear a preacher or we read a book or we're in the Bible and the Gideons have given us one in our hotel room or, or whatever it is. In some scenario, a light bulb goes off and we receive Jesus Christ. And so then we become people who are in Christ. But then we might find ourselves a week later, a month later, a year later, inundated with stuff to do or not do. Well, you've got to stop drinking, you've got to stop smoking, you've got to get in your Bible and you've got to get to church. Well, those are exactly the things that we told a lost person that it was not about. We said, it's not about what you do, it's about being born again, it's about being in Christ. It's not about changing your behavior, it's about who you're in. Then we become a Christian, we're in Christ, and immediately we set out to what should I be doing. And so, there is a place for doing. Don't misunderstand me. There is a place for upright living. A Christian is designed to live uprightly. A Christian is designed to say no to sin and to say yes to God. But hear, please hear what I'm saying. Every ounce of what we do, if it's in dependency on Jesus Christ, then it comes from a place of being. Doing comes from being. As we walk by the Spirit, we're walking by the Spirit who is bearing witness with our spirit that we are in Jesus Christ. And so, identity, our new identity in Christ, is the rationale, is the motivation, is the inspiration for any action taken. And that's why it's so critical that we get it and that we revisit it and that we revisit it so that we can see. Because, as you well know, some days we wake up and we feel like two people, torn, old and new. Some days, some of you, I don't know, maybe you wake up and feel like three people. Now, that's complicated. But we don't know. We don't know for sure who we are. That's why in Romans chapter 6, maybe you remember, Paul says, should we, should we go on sinning? And then he says, by no means do you not know. Do you not know that you've been crucified, buried, and raised? Do you not know who you really are? And so, we talked about how the fact that because we are in Christ, we become loved like Christ. We become secure, complete, righteous, forgiven. As the Scripture says, as He is, so also are we. And then you can't have any cop out here saying, well, that's in heaven. Look what it says. In this world. As He is, so also are we in this world. So if you haven't caught it yet, if you're not fully sure where, where we're going and what I'm saying, I, I want you to try this out. This is the bottom line. 
What I'm saying is, is that there is a place within you, right here, right where you sit, there is a place within you that is equivalent to the Holy of Holies from the Old Testament. There is a place within you called your human spirit, and it's where Christ lives, and it's not play, and it's not fake, and it's not imaginary. It's here, and it's now, and it's Christ in you. And so, the idea is that we have a spirit, and then we also we have a soul, and our soul, as we'll see, is our psychology, and our soul can lie to us, our emotions can tell us untruths, our, our, our thoughts and our feelings are all over the place. So, if I really was crucified with Christ, if my old self is really dead, if I really am new in my spirit, if I really am a new creation, remember the question we left with last week, well then why do I still struggle with sin? Remember, number one reason that we still struggle is something called the flesh. Now, as we dissect the flesh and the power of sin today, what the, the biggest point you can walk away with is... You're new. You're new. You're new. You're absolutely new. But you struggle with old thinking. We struggle with old thinking, but we at the core are new. Now, the reason that the Christian world by and large has rejected the idea that we are new and instead adopted the idea that we are the new self and the old self at the same time is because they're trying to explain why we still sin. That's the bottom line. And so, the soul, not the spirit, but the soul experiences sin. We, we walk after the flesh. We choose with our will to allow sin to dominate us in a given moment. Our soul experiences that. We panic. Oh my goodness, I've just committed the most monstrous sin imaginable, how could I possibly be a Christian? Or how could I possibly be a new creation? And so from there, in that panic and in that worry and in that desire to explain, we develop a theology, what we will call a theology of the soul. And the theology of the soul then is that I must be half good and half bad because when I go to church, it's the good me. And when I end up entertaining sinful thoughts, it must be the bad me. And so then I live this schizophrenic Christianity. And I can't really take God's Word at face value. He must be talking from a heavenly sense. He must be talking from a far-off bookkeeping, some sort of way that He looks at me. But I'm not really new because I still sin. My hope is that by the end of the next 15 minutes or so, that we will see how to put the pieces together to believe, get this now, to believe that we are literally and actually changed, literally and actually changed in our, in our spirit, and yet still explain our ongoing struggle. Well, the first reason we struggle was the flesh. And you remember, the Scripture tells us the flesh, well, it might be a source of wisdom, strength, might, or status, like nobility. And so it's a way to get life. It's a way to get identity. It's a way to get worth and value apart from Christ. 
we did this all the time as lost people, we can still choose it as saved people, but it's not what we're made for. Remember, too, that the flesh was a self-improver. It might perfect you, the Galatians thought. We, we thought it was fabulous, Mr. Paul, that you came into Galatia and taught us about Jesus as the Roman road to heaven, the ticket to heaven. So, so that's wonderful. But now, but now we've been hearing some other teachers, and what we really want to do is we want to grow. I mean, we don't want to be baby Christians, so we're going to take the law so that we can grow. And so what they began doing then was looking to the flesh, human effort, as a means of spiritual growth. And Paul says, that's silly, that's dumb, that's foolish. Well, next you see the idea of identity from the flesh. It's possible that Paul's resume, you know, his Club Israel membership card was pretty impressive. He was from the right tribe and he he was quite a performer. What does it say? As far as righteousness, which is in the law, he was found blameless. Hebrew of Hebrews, nation of Israel. So what we could say is, oh man, I'm a Baptist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a non-denominational because that's the best. I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. I witnessed to 12 people this year. And on and on it goes. And that is fleshly righteousness. Fleshly means of trying to look spiritual and seem spiritual and get our identity from what we're doing. Well, what does it say? You remember uh, Mr. Octopus from last week, and I apologize for the missing limbs. But just in review... You remember this flesh as a self-improver. I've got the anger problem. I'm stuffing down my emotions. And then I've got the lust problem. And then I decide I'm going to tackle these. And so I try to tackle the anger just like the Galatians. You foolish Galatians. I'm going to tackle my anger. And so I say, well, look, look at an incredible job I've done tackling my anger. I've gotten rid of all my anger. And now I'm struggling with this pride that I'm so amazing that I could tackle my anger. And so, the flesh is a flesh trip. It's endless. It is a constant self-improvement program, and you're never there. Now, catch this. The Bible never says to clean up the flesh. The Bible says to walk by the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Don't try to improve the flesh. It's an endless, bottomless pit. So, where do we put the flesh? And finishing off everything that we've talked about so far, the flesh was a a mindset, it was an attitude, it was a realm of thinking. But notice it's not the core of me. Do you see this? This is the core of me. This is my spirit. This is where Christ lives. And then this is my psychology, in the Greek word suke, my soul. And then this is my body, the shell that I live in. So, if you were going to put this thing that I struggle with into perspective, this flesh thing, where would you put it on the diagram? Well, lots of people would do this. They would call it a sin nature, which is a mistake. It's not in the Greek. They would call it a sin nature, and they would put it right here in the middle as half of me. 
There's the old self, the sin nature, and the new self, the new creation, and they fight it out. They battle. And that's where we go horribly wrong in misunderstanding the gospel. The flesh is a way that we can walk. The flesh is a way that we can think. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Why? Because that's the way we're made at the core. And so, you see then that the flesh is one reason that we still struggle, but it doesn't change the reality of what's true in our spirits. Do you see it? If you don't see it yet, and and what you see is a diagram and some talk, what I'm trying to say is you're beautiful on the inside and that God has made you that way in Jesus. And that there's nothing wrong with you at the core of your being. And that the problem is if we think that we're dirty and we think that we're ugly and we think that we're awful, it's because we're getting our identity from the flesh instead of the new creation that God has made us. We are not the sum total of what we do. We are children of God. We are born of the Spirit. And when God gives birth to you by His Spirit, what kind of job do you think He does? How does it turn out? What is the DNA of a person who's been born of the Spirit? What does that DNA look like? And so, there is a place within us from which we can get our identity. It's the only place that makes sense. It's our human spirit, and we have been birthed by God's Spirit. Well, but let's be honest, this is an hour on Sunday, and tomorrow I'm going to be thinking the thoughts. I'm going to be thinking the thoughts and feeling the junk, right? All the stuff that flows through my mind. Where does it come from? There's a thing called sin. Now, you may have never heard about this before, and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You've heard the verb sin, right? To sin, I sin, you sin, we all sin. Yay! (laughs) You've heard that. But I'm not talking about the verb to sin. I'm not talking about the action of, of, you know, going out and, and stealing stuff and lying and cheating. I'm not talking about sinning. There's a power, a thing called sin. And in one of the books that I wrote, I refer to it as a parasite. Remember, uh, you're traveling down the path toward the beach at a tropical destination. You get a parasite burrowed up in your foot. You don't know it's there. And then the pain messages start throbbing. You get pain messages to your brain and you start consulting doctors after your vacation. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with my foot? And doctor after doctor can't tell you. They're not used to this third world thing. They're like, you know, best, best uh, idea here is just to amputate. <laughs> amputate. Get rid of a part of you because you are the problem. And that's what we're doing as Christians. We've got to die to self, die to self, die to self. Got to get rid of me. Got to get me out of the way so it can be all God and none of me. Do you hear that jargon? You hear that, don't you? Get rid of me so it can be all of God and none of me. Why? Because I am ugly. I am awful. I get in God's way. 
He can't work with me. He needs to work apart from me. I need to get out of the way so it's all of Him and none of me. Really? United with Christ? Raised and seated with Jesus Christ? And you're supposed to get out of the way so it's none of you? Paul says, I labor and I strive and I work mightily according to the power that is at work in me. And we're not supposed to be part of it? Huh, that's interesting. It's just a bunch of jargon. The gospel is better than that. The gospel is you and Jesus Christ in union, one with Him. What was it Josh sang about and talked about this morning? A marriage union? A marriage relationship? That's how God Himself talks about it. Through the Apostle Paul, he says, if you join yourself to a prostitute, you are one flesh with her. But if you join yourself to the Lord, you are one spirit with Him. Now that's real close. And that means we're supposed to be a part of it all. And the bottom line is that religion will tell us that we are dirty and distant so that we can be controlled by religion. Do these things and you will get right. And then you need to do them again so that you can stay right. And then you need to keep doing them so that you can feel right. And God is saying, get your rightness from me, get your closeness from me. You are clean and you are close and it's because of me. Well, then why do I still sin? The flesh. But there's something else, this thing, this parasite. Remember, it's burrowed up inside and I start thinking I'm the problem. But what if one doctor, what if just one doctor could diagnose the real problem? You know what? It's not you. There's something in you that is not you. I don't know how it got there, but it's there. There's something in you sending messages to your brain, pain messages. Well, God is saying the same thing. There's something in you that is not you, and it's sending sinful messages to your brain. Do you know that even Jesus was tempted? Even Jesus got the thoughts? Does that mean he wasn't new? That he wasn't right? That he wasn't holy? That he didn't have identity as the Son of God? Anyone can get the thoughts, but we aren't the sum total of what we think. And we aren't the total of what we do. Where are these thoughts coming from? Well, Romans 7, verse 17 and 20, among various other passages, tell us this. When I do... Oh man, this is good. you got to listen to this. When I do the very thing that I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it. What? Paul? You're going to tell me, the devil made me do it. Man, that's just a cop out. I can't believe that. You know, you know what they're saying over there at Ecclesia? They're saying that like, when we sin, it's not our fault. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is a source of the thoughts that is not me. And then he says in Romans 6, 
Here it comes, those who are worried about responsibility. Here it comes. Do not let sin reign. Who's that written to? To us? What's our job? Don't let sin reign. And then it goes on and it says, so that you obey its lusts. Who do the lusts belong to? It. Don't let it reign. Don't obey its lusts. But I thought I was all lusty. I thought I was dirty and rotten and lustful and impatient and unloving. And God says, you're a new creation, a partaker of the divine nature. You're righteous. You're the righteousness of God. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You're one with me as I am. So also are you in this world. And we're saying I'm impatient, unloving, and lustful. Well, guess how you're going to live then? You're going to live as an impatient, unloving, and lustful person. Hope you enjoy that. But God is saying you're being duped. You are identifying yourself with the flesh. The flesh that you struggle with, those highways that you've traveled, you're saying, well, that's just me. I can't help it. It's the way I've always been. It's the way I've always been. Really? Is it the way you've always been since you've been crucified with Christ and raised and seated with Him? Is it really the always the way you've been ever since you became a new creation, the righteousness of God? See, what we're, what we're saying is, yeah, but. Even when I tell you these words about us from the Scripture, we say, yeah, but, in our minds. Yeah, but. And the reason that we say, yeah, but, is because we are obsessed with the way that we have acted. We are obsessed with the way that we have thought and acted. And Jesus is obsessed with what He has done in our spirits. And there's only one reality. You are not going to get a part of you scraped away right before you hit heaven. You ever thought about that? What is the only part of you that the Bible says is going to change when you hit heaven? You're looking at it. Your body. You get a new body in heaven. You do not get a new spirit when you hit heaven. Why? Your spirit is heaven ready. Well, what about my soul, though? My soul is filthy. My soul is absolutely filthy. No, it's not. Your nature, your dirt, or your righteousness comes from your spirit, not your soul. Your soul is just a mirror. That's why you won't get a new soul in heaven either. Show me a verse where you get a new soul in heaven. You don't get one. Why? Because once you leave planet earth, there will be only one thing to reflect. And that is the glory of God. And so we get our identity from our spirit, we reflect in our soul, and we will one day get a new body. But right now, that soul can reflect the world, that soul can reflect the flesh, that soul can reflect sin, but when it does, it's not reflecting who we are in our spirit. Back in Genesis 4-7, this is the first time we ever see this thing, this parasite called sin. 
And here's, here's what uh, God says. God says, He says to Cain, He says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. And He says, its desire is for you. And you must master it. It, a thing, a power, a principle, a parasite. Like getting a splinter up inside of you. It's in you, but it's not you. And so, Cain, this thing is after you. And the best advice God has at that point is you must master it. And so, when Paul says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me, Vine's Dictionary says it's a a governing principle or power. It's an organized power. Check this out. Look at this. Acting through the members of the body. You are being used. You are being used when you walk after the flesh. You're acting like a slave to sin when you don't have to. That's what he's telling us. In the next clause and in the other passages, this governing principle is personified. It's like a person. In fact, if you go back and look at the Hebrew in Genesis 4-7, it actually says this. Here's what Cain hears in his own language. It says, Sin is crouching at the door. His desire is for you. You must master him. That's what Cain hears. And so... So this power is personified. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm going to say, first of all, that you're not any different, that sin lives in the members of your body, Romans 6 and 7. Second of all, that you get thoughts from sin. And that third, sin is personified in you. So what does that mean? When I get the thoughts from a personified power, guess who I think it is? Hmm. When I get thoughts from a personified power, guess who I think it is? I think it's me. At best, I think it's my old self trying to tempt my new self. That's just the bad me. Better not listen to the bad me. Oh, so you're going to for 80 years try to say no to who you really are? Who you think you are? The power of sin is not the old self. The old self is dead, buried, and gone. The power of sin controlled the old self, but the power of sin is not the old self. So when I get the thoughts, it's not about saying no to me, it's about saying no to sin. That's the big deal. I can explain my newness and still explain the struggle. Do you see it? It's a pretty pretty big deal because everybody walks out of here with one thing. I promise you, all of us walk out of here with the same thing, a thought life. You will walk out of here today with a thought life. And the way that you have been interpreting your thought life is through a grid of some facts and figures and some things clear and some things not so clear. What God is trying to do through the Scriptures is make things clear so that we can see. When I get the thoughts, I need to know the source. 
And what Paul is saying is, it is not me, it is something in me. And that's true for us too, right here. A splinter. So, let's finish up then. So we got the flesh, which on Wednesday I said, you know, the flesh is kind of like the, the policies of the former administration. You know, when the president comes in, the first thing he does is fire everybody. You know, he wants his own cabinet. He wants his own people in there. And then the next thing he does is he tries to uh, undo what the previous president did. And then four years later it happens again. And then four years again and four years again. And so that's very much what the flesh is. There's a new president in town. The new creation. The policies of the old administration are not what's desired. And so the flesh is like the policies of the previous administration. Now, while we're on Washington, you see that Pentagon there. Thank you. You see that little red Pentagon? That Pentagon is the power of sin. And, and look at this. Look at this. Am I allowed to go up here? Yeah. Look at what the power of sin is doing. The power of sin is feeding thoughts to my flesh, and then I choose to let sin reign. I shouldn't. Do not let sin reign. But I choose to let sin reign, and then what's the result? Dead works and sins. Now, right now I'm a lost person, and I'm a slave to sin. I have to do this. So I got dead works or sins. Good-looking sin and bad-looking sin. But then I become a Christian. Now, what happens when I become a Christian? The center part of me changes. The old man, crucified, dead, buried, never to be heard from again. I will make you clean. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. Notice that it's lowercase s. That's you, not God. And then in the next verse... I will put My Spirit within you. Do you see it? Christians are all nodding their heads about this. Oh yeah, Holy Spirit. Got the Holy Spirit. Got the Holy Ghost. Yes, the Spirit of Christ. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement. And then they say, but my old self is really nagging me. So we're going to take half the message and miss the other half. We have a new human spirit. But, there's that Pentagon, Mr. Sin, rolling in. When you got saved, you didn't get a new body. We're still tempted until heaven. And we still have those old ways of thinking. And so the power of sin can feed our flesh and we can end up walking in sins or walking in good works. But look at the core of my being. Look who I am. Look who you are. Look what you're made for. That's the miracle of the new self. Do you see? Do you see the big deal? Yes, you get the thoughts. I get the thoughts. I'm not impressed by your sins either. Don't be impressed by mine. It's, it's incredibly obvious that we all get the thoughts. But there's a greater truth and a greater fact here. We are new at the core.
and we've been made right. Why were we saved? So that we wouldn't be slaves to sin. He who has died is freed from sin. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Do not let sin reign so that you obey its lusts. No longer am I the one doing it, but sin. If I'm the one doing the very thing I don't want to do, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin. And then I see a different law in the members of my body. The law of sin which is in my members. So what do we end with? Well, let's finish with this picture. Look at you. You're yellow. You are yellow. You are filled with the glory of God. You are made right. You are made clean. You are a partaker of the divine nature. You're the same color as the God of the universe. Your spiritual DNA has been swapped. Yes, there's the flesh. Yes, there's the power of sin. Those are a deal. Look out for them. But it doesn't change your newness at the core. Well, I hope that this tool, this picture has helped you see exactly who you are from Scripture and that you might be able to explain your ongoing struggle maybe in a new way, maybe see your thought life as different than you ever have before. Why don't we close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank You for making us new. We thank You that it's not fake, that it's not the Jesus glasses pretending that we're new, but that it's real, it's a heart surgery, it's a DNA swap. Father, I pray that uh, for each person here, we get, we get lustful thoughts, we get impatient thoughts, we get backbiting thoughts, we get all kinds of impressive, sinful thoughts. And then we immediately assume the source is us. Father, I pray that even in those moments, even in the midst, and especially in the midst of being bombarded with sinful thoughts, that You might remind us in a personal and powerful way, remind us of who we really are, And that no amount of thoughts and that no amount of feelings in our soul will change the miracle of the Spirit. We thank You for making us new. We thank You for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Moses. And he's talking to God. And God appears to him in this burning bush. And you know what the Scripture says about this burning bush? It says, says the fire did not consume the bush. And so God was in the midst of this bush and He was speaking to Moses and, and appeared as a flame of fire. And yet He could coexist and not consume it. He didn't need to burn it up or, or replace it or take it out of the way. Instead, He embraced it. He unified Himself with it and spoke through it. And that's precisely a picture of what we have with Jesus Christ. What if if it's this? What if because you are in Christ, 
God is not trying to replace you, but embrace you. He tells us who we are. He tells us that we're clean. He tells us that we're close. He tells us that we are right so that He can live with us and in us and fused to us one spirit with Him. The God of the universe lives in us through Jesus Christ. He lives through us. He does not consume us or replace us. He wants to be a part of it all. The Gospel, a greater message than we could ever dream up. Have a great day.